Folks, early bird pricing for 2021 4 for 4 memberships are available. Don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out. Check out Classic, Pro, and DFS embedding memberships up to 25% off right now. See 4for4.com slash plans for details. Welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles, and co-hosting today is Chris Allen. This is our first episode hosting together, the first of many to come, I hope. And Chris, I for one am very excited to have this opportunity to host the awesome show with you. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. And I mean, thanks for, I guess, agreeing to take me on for, for the off season. <laughs> and I know that we're going to try and figure out like how to, I guess, how to like muddle through this off season, but I appreciate getting a chance to talk to you. And also, I mean, when we get into our guest for this evening, I mean, I'm excited to just be able to talk football now that we're out of the regular season. I mean, the season's over and we can actually start to either digest uh, 2020 or look ahead to 2021. So I'm excited to dive in. I love it. I love it. I'm excited to dive into the offseason as well. Before we get too much into our guest, I just want to hit a, a quick hit right now. Our pounding the table segment. Uh, it's going to be a cold open in future episodes, but I didn't want to scare any listeners with a cold open this first episode. Didn't want to get too shivery in here. So uh, this time I did the intro first. I asked our guest, Jeremy Reisman from Pride of Detroit, for a player he's pounding the table for looking to next year. Jeremy, who are you pounding the table for? Well, I'm going to kind of keep it local with me, and I'm going to say Cooper Cup is the guy I'm pounding the table for um, locally in that I know that he's going to Bennett from now Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford, and it hurts a little bit for me to even say the words now Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford, uh, but I think he is going to just develop immediate chemistry with a guy like Cooper Cup. We saw what Matthew Stafford did with a slot receiver like Golden Tate for years. He had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons, um, and, and Cooper Cup already has got one of those, almost had back-to-back this year. I, I think those two are going to get along swimmingly, probably find a, the end zone a little bit more than he did uh, under Jared Goff. So I, I think that Rams offense is about to take off all over again, and Cooper Cup I think is a guy that might stand to benefit the most. Fantastic. That table is beat down with love for Cooper Cup. I like that a lot. As I mentioned, uh, this is Jeremy Reisman. We're excited to be joined by managing editor of Pride of Detroit on SB Nation, host of the excellent Pride of Detroit podcast, which just pulled Jordan Roderick, one of my favorite writers. You can find Jeremy on Twitter at Detroit on Lion and go read and listen to all of his great content. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm do- like like you guys. I'm I'm ready to look forward to this off season. There's been a lot of activity over in Detroit already, but uh, there's so much more to come for everyone else. And seems like it, it might be one of the most interesting off seasons uh, ahead of us with all the quarterbacks already moving around. And uh, I, I just can't wait to get going. Definitely a team in transition. Uh, along those lines, I wanted to ask you a quick Detroit question before we get to our next segment. Uh, you recently wrote about how new Lions head coach Dan Campbell assembled his staff. As a lifelong Detroit fan who now lives in L.A., what do you think about the Anthony Lynn hire, and how do you think that's going to impact the fantasy value of guys like DeAndre Swift and T.J. Hawkinson, young talent that I think is, is a big part of that Detroit future? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it's uh, one that I'm actually in the midst of, of kind of diving into. I went back into Anthony Lynn's uh, history because he kind of gets the rep of being, you know, a run-heavy guy. You look what he did in Buffalo over there with LaShawn McCoy, um, did a fantastic job. He made the Pro Bowl that year, was one of the, the leading rushers in, in 2016. He comes over to the Chargers. Um, he he kind of really wavered between running the ball and passing the ball a lot, and we saw Obviously, Justin Herbert had a really good year under him last year as well. And you have to imagine the Lions are eventually going to go young quarterback. So I'm actually a, a big fan of this hire. If you look at his offenses in the in the past, 
Um, none of them ranked in the bottom five in terms of scoring. Um, in terms of DVOA, they never ranked lower than 12. So I think the Lions offense is going to go by, you know, pretty much going to hold steady, even though they're obviously getting a downgrade at quarterback. In terms of what it means for a guy, you know, like TJ Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift, I mean, I think Swift could also, I mean, he he very well could have been my pound on the table for a guy as well, because <laughs> we kind of saw what he did towards the end of the season when he became the lead back there in Detroit. Um, I think there's a lot to come in terms of him as a receiver. And we saw what Anthony did, Anthony Lynn did with a, a guy like Austin Eckler. So I think if out of those two, I think Swift is the one that, that maybe you can count on as a, as a 2021 kind of sleeper, I guess, if you will. And then TJ Hawkinson, I mean, his, his career's already kind of had his breakout season in 2020. So I expect that to continue. I don't know if you're going to see a lot more production out of him than you did see in 2020, but um, his, his stock remains very high. Chris, maybe we should have invited our other co-host, Jen Akins, to come on as well with all this DeAndre Swift love. This, right? Uh, she'd be she's loving got it right now. Georgia background. Are you as bullish on Swift, Chris? Uh, not at this point. I mean, I do think that after after seeing him as rookie season and see him be able to not necessarily take over that backfield, but when you saw, I guess, just the immediate bump in production, like from from the running back uh, position, when you saw like uh, AP come out. Swift come in. I mean, you can see what that offense could be capable of doing with that rotate, like with that type of rotation or with kind of Swift kind of leading the way. And if they brought in an ancillary back to kind of complement Swift, I think that I think that could work really well, like for uh, for the Lions offense moving forward. So I am excited for him. I'm just I'm hesitant at this point just because I the the uncertainty associated with their situation. Sure, sure. I can't add anything intelligent to that except that it's a top five skill position name. If I have somebody who's playing a skill position, his name is Swift, I'm immediately excited about it. That's the only thing I can add. Uh, thanks so much, Jerry, for that. Let's get to our next segment. Uh, Chris, News Impact. What uh, What's in the news this week? Well, I mean, it's February 8th. I mean, we just saw uh, the Super Bowl not 24 hours ago, and I guess... I wanted to sit down and just let's let's talk about that just for just for a few minutes and just take uh, if we can get some takeaways from that uh, and just kind of discuss and let the viewers kind of uh, sit back and uh, listen to what we're thinking about uh, after some after that game last night. And here's my big takeaway. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about afterwards and. I get, and it was something that was bothering me actually, like during the game, because I saw a few takes uh, being uh, being put out there on, on my timeline. Does this game and does the 2020 season change your, I guess, view of Bill Belichick as, as a coach? Because I was seeing a lot of commentary on, well, because Tom Brady was able to do what he did now with Tampa Bay. And I mean, the Patriots couldn't even make it to the playoffs this season. I mean, Miami, I mean, the Dolphins had a better shot of making it to the playoffs than the Patriots did. Um, and there's so much more excitement around the other teams in the uh, in the AFC East. I mean, the, the Bills are obviously um, at top of the uh, top of the list. Miami's now one of the hot spots for folks to go to. Um, I mean, but does this change your view on Bill Belichick? And I mean, for, for me, I mean, it just feels like the recency bias has kind of taken it to a point where we can't have an honest conversation about the Patriots dynasty and what the two did for each other. I mean, not just uh, not just Tom Brady on his own or Bill Belichick on his own. I mean, we walked into the 2020 season with the Patriots having the most opt outs out of out of any team in the NFL. I mean, they, they lost so much um, uh, on both the defensive side, and I think they lost, was it their, their right tackle, if I'm not mistaken, because he had opted out as well. 
I mean, injuries to Julian Edelman. And I mean, the receiving core not being able to step up Cam Newton coming in late in the offseason to pick up that uh, to pick up that scheme and, and try and command that offense. So I think there's a lot that was kind of pushed on to the Patriots and expecting them to even get close to what that roster down in Tampa was supposed to do. I don't know. It's just hard for me to reconcile uh, reconcile like that, uh, I guess, that perspective without trying to take into context essentially what the Patriots did for so many seasons. And I think Bill Belichick mentioned it during a, a presser saying that they they basically mortgaged the farm in order to get those number of championships that they did with Tom Brady. So I don't know. I mean, that was one of my big takeaways was that like while Tom Brady, I think, I mean, there's no question that he is one of the best athletes, if not the best athlete of all time. I don't think that that takes away from what I mean, just the the I guess the coaching skills that Bill Belichick was able to I guess able to put out on field along with Tom Brady. I mean, they complemented they work they complemented each other. I don't think it's a a binary thing, but that's just one of the takeaways that I had. Uh, I mean, Jeremy, I mean, what was one of your takeaways? I guess from uh, from watching that game last night. I mean, it's really simple. Offensive tackles matter. Yeah, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the, the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, we saw what happened. The the pressure numbers. I think. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes was, was pressured, what, 25 times uh, in that game. And you're missing your left tackle, you're missing your right tackle, and, and it shows. And it, it's kind of shocking to me that the, the Chiefs didn't seem more prepared for that because it was kind of a big storyline going in, this this great Buccaneers defensive line going against a beat-up uh, Chiefs, uh, you know, offensive line. And you look at some of the numbers, I, I think I saw out there that, you know, the Chiefs didn't, they only had five in protection for all but four dropbacks in that game. And you're just like, how do you not adjust to that at halftime or, or something? And it, it's, it was really shocking to see, really, because we all hold Andy Reid in high regard, and I still do. I, I think I saw some people kind of removing from his legacy because even as, as early as last year, people were saying he couldn't win the big games. Um, but to me, I, I, I'm just curious about what the, the – and they had two weeks to plan for this game, and they knew they were going to be missing both their offensive tackles. And sure, it's easier said than done to just help those guys out with, you know, chipping with a defensive tackle or bringing in an extra tackle or anything like that. Um, but it's just uh, – it, it, it was kind of shocking for me to see just – really the Chiefs, to me, it looked like they got out game planned in that game, which is um, not something I really expected going into that game. I think that's I think that's fair. Um, and I guess that's another question for uh, for both of you guys. I mean, so regardless of the fantasy football takes process to to make the draft selection or whatever. But what is your your take on Clyde Edwards Hilaire in 2021? I mean, do we think that it is just a complete bust? There's just uh, we're all just completely confused as to why the Chiefs would have would have spent the 32nd overall pick on this running back. Do you think there at least there's some pieces there uh, for for him to kind of I guess reassume the lead dog role? I mean, assuming health and all that, like for the 2021 season. I guess where are you guys at, uh, Brandon? I'll start with you. I mean, where where are you at with with Clyde Edwards Hilaire after after last night? And I guess uh, you can wax on uh, the uh, the rest of the 2020 regular season too. Sure. So, uh, Clyde Edwards, you know, the draft capital obviously made him really excited. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of fantasy analysts and people come out of the woodwork right now defending Clyde Edwards, even though he had uh, very inconsistent usage throughout the season. Uh, he had nine carries, two catches in the Super Bowl, 87 yards total, which was uh, pretty good and definitely led the team. 
uh, in that aspect. But now we've got Damian Williams coming back. So there's definitely concerns. And you see a lot of bullish fantasy analysts right now speaking about him in higher terms. And I think a lot of that is sunken cost. Uh, so we'll see because, you know, he was going top five in redraft leagues last year, top two in uh, in rookie drafts, rookie startups. So uh, we'll see what he does. I'm I'm excited about him because of that offense, but I'm worried about Damian Williams coming back because he's signed through next year. Uh, I'm worried about Andy Reid's just refusal to have a bell cow back. That offense seems to be just throwing the ball constantly, which makes sense, I suppose. They've got Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we we do have, I, I wanted to touch on a, a segment, uh, just a, a feature that's on 4 for 4 right, right now. Justin Edwards has an article exactly about this as a whether or not CEH is a top 10 dynasty running back. Um, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm cautious. I'm optimistic. I'm probably not going to pay what it takes to get him in any league format going into next year. Uh, Jeremy, what are your what are your thoughts on CEH? Yeah, I'm kind of following your lead there. I would I would be very cautious just because it, it does seem like, and, and this isn't just a Chiefs thing, it seems like everyone is just kind of moving towards this running back by committee thing. I mean, you just go back to 2019, Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy basically split the backfield evenly completely you know, 111 carries for one, 101 carries for the other. So I, I just think this is the new normal and especially the new normal in Kansas City. And and yeah, I think Damian Williams is, is going to be 1B to, to Clyde Edwards, Hilaire's 1A. And it's going to frustrate some people. And uh, But but I, I also get it from the Chiefs' point of view. I mean, you're not serving fantasy football players, unfortunately. You're trying to keep a healthy backfield that that can provide multiple things. Now, I, I, I like what he did this you know, his rookie season and there's room to grow. And so I think, I still think, you know, he's definitely in the top 15 conversation, maybe even knocking on that top 10 conversation, but uh, definitely proceed with caution with a guy that, that split, like you said, just inconsistent numbers all year. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with both of you. And I think that if they could operate similarly to, let's see how, let's say like the 49ers kind of uh, started to rotate some of their backs and uh, use some of that dynamicism across multiple players. So we saw, I mean, it, if it wasn't, um, if it wasn't Raheem Mostert, it was, it was Jeff Wilson, it wasn't Jeff Wilson. We saw Jarek McKinnon for, you know, for a split second there. So I think they have at least enough athleticism at the position across multiple backs to kind of fill in that role of a guy that can either pass block or could be a check down option for Patrick Mahomes. And I think any of those guys could fit that bill. I mean, we'll see if Darwin Thompson ever becomes a thing at all, but I doubt it. But either way, I still <laughs> think there's, I think CEH showed enough I mean, especially um, I think it was to open up the third quarter. There was that jump cut that he made um, out of the backfield in order to do that 26-yard run, um, I think, at the beginning of the third quarter. I think the, the, the pieces are there. I'm just hoping that he gets at least uh, – he takes that next step forward in 2021 to kind of showcase or maybe help people believe that's the reason why the Chiefs took him uh, in the first round. Uh, so on to the uh, next bit of news. I mean, of course, the the news uh, the news rumor that's kind of I guess headlining uh, the NFL news cycle at this point um, is this Carson Wentz uh, trade rumors. I mean, it sounds like uh, the Bears are now the front runners. Um, I mean, I guess Jeremy, I'll kick it to you first. I mean, what what are you thinking now as to I mean what that means for I mean the NFC North in general? I mean, I'm sure Packers fans are probably just giggling um, at the yeah. fact that uh, this 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 could happen. <laughs> yep. I mean, but I mean, so say this does happen. I mean, do you think this is a a net positive for the Bears, or do you think this is just Ryan Pace trying to latch himself onto yet another quarterback and save his job? 
Well, I, I think it's probably a combination of the both, and and it, it depends on what they uh, what they get in return or what they have to give up, I should say, um, for the trade. Because I I it's definitely an upgrade over what they have. I just don't think it's a huge upgrade, and I do think it's kind of like, you know, everyone in that building knows that that twenty twenty one might be their last shot, and it feels like a lot of of what the Lions were going through in twenty twenty to to kind of bring it back to to what I'm I'm familiar with. And and you just kind of go out. You you take your best shot. You go out and get a guy that's available. And you know I don't I don't think particularly highly of Carson Wentz at this point in his career. But he's someone that that's going to come in with familiarity. He's going to come in and and upgrade the position a little bit. It it could work, but it does kind of wreak desperation for me. And uh, it's not something that you know if I was a Bears fan that I would get too excited about. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. And like Brandon, then from a from a fantasy perspective, I mean, so that could be. I mean, could this be the answer for, I mean, Allen Robinson truthers, let's say, assuming that uh, the Bears wind up retaining him for the 2021 season. And then also, I mean, so that leaves Jalen Hurts in command of the Eagles offense. So I'm thinking, I mean, all systems go for the Eagles. I mean, we have to figure out like what they're going to, I'm assuming they're dumping Alshon. Uh, We have to see if Jalen Rager can uh, make the next step in his sophomore year. But I'm thinking... Eagles, okay. Um, I'm, I would like to start, you know, investing in the Eagles' passing offense for 2021, and then I've, I'm still timid uh, when it comes to the Bears, even if they do wind up uh, wind up making this trade. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't have a problem with Allen Robinson because he's such a target hog, and I think that'll just continue even if Carson Wentz is there. Like Allen Robinson's fantasy numbers aren't going to care how many interceptions Carson Wentz throws <laughs> or how many times he fumbles the ball. Uh, the the thing that's going to be interesting to me is that Chicago seriously wants to run the ball, and if Tariq Cohen is part of that trade, which is what some of the early rumors are, then uh, that's going to change the dynamic of that offense under Matt Nagy. He's going to go out there, and he's going to continue to use David Montgomery, and uh, we're going to be looking at Robinson to move the chains more so and maybe push it downfield rather than this explosive chief style offense which is what i think a lot of people thought we were going to get when Nagy came over there uh philly is the interesting one to be because if they get cohen and they've got hurts then it's just a matter of surrounding him with weapons and cohen isn't basically a, a another slot receiver they've got a high pick in the draft this is a loaded wide receiver draft once again uh rager coming into a second year and then the big thing for me about philly is andre dillard jason peters who may not come back Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson, all those guys missed most of the year. So Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz running for their life all season. We just heard Jeremy talk about how important the tackles are. And I think Philly comes out, and if they just get like a little better health next year and Jalen Hurts takes a little step and they add a couple weapons, like Cohen, like somebody in the draft, then I'm going to be buying the Philly offense in a way that I think others might be downplaying it a little bit. I think that makes sense. And I'm hoping that's the case because I'm after I know it's small sample sizes and whatnot, but what those three or four starts from Jalen Hurts, I I mean, I it made me a believer. I mean, I was a believer of him, like from his college production, but seeing him immediately pop, you know, drop into that offense and then kind of, I guess, I mean, he was leaps and bounds better than what Carson Wentz was showing, like over the majority of the season. So I'm I'm hoping that that's the case. And um, I'm I'm at least uh, I'm optimistic that the Eagles can start to find at least some better footing, but we'll see. I mean, amidst the rest of the turmoil with like the coaching staff and and all that, the, with the coaching turnover and whatnot, um, we'll see what the Eagles have to have to offer in 2021. Uh, the last new segment that we'll get to um, is uh, is Aaron Jones. Uh, we know, I mean, throughout most of the season, it was either Aaron Jones they need to pay the Packers need to pay him, or it was uh, you know AJ Dillon season. I mean, just, and there was really no in between, uh, but now, 
there's uh, the rumors are that we've got uh, this is from uh, Evan Massey uh, featured on like Forbes, ESPN, Yahoo. Uh, he's now saying that it was uh, multiple folks or multiple teams like the Dolphins, 49ers, Steelers and Bears uh, were at least interested in acquiring uh, the, the latest Packers free agent, um, at least from my end. If I had to pick one of the uh, one of those teams off the top of my head, I would love to see him with Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. It, just off, I mean, that's my knee jerk reaction. Just seeing oh, how yeah. he's just seeing how he's used his running backs traditionally. I mean, he would be an instant upgrade over literally all the guys that they currently have on their roster right now. Uh, maybe minus Kyle Uzcheck, but that's just that's just me being a fanboy. But either way, <laughs> I think that uh, I do think that I mean, out of all of those, I think he would provide like the best, I guess, bang for the buck for for lack of a better term, by being able to upgrade that offense without doing too much to impact what they currently do on offense. I think they could drop him there and he'd be just fine. But um, I mean, Brandon, I mean, what do you think? I mean, out of those four teams, knee jerk reaction, where would you like to see him at? So uh, if you take like the money out of it, right, and and the Dolphins fandom out of it, I want to see him in Miami because I I think that takes pressure off Tua. I think it makes some kind of that ground and pound game that I think Brian Flores wants the team's identity to be. And I think he's just a great fit, fills a need. It's going to be an emerging offensive line. So I like that. I also think Miami has more money to sign him. Uh, Now, I'm not a fan of paying free agent running backs, no matter how good they are. But uh, (laughs) as far as the team construction uh, goes, but that's not really a fantasy question. So uh, the Dolphins would be my guess based on the the amount of cap room they have. 49ers, if they move on from Garoppolo, they can get there money wise. So that's a I like that fit better on the field and with the coaching staff, because we know Kyle Shanahan can make a versatile weapon like Aaron Jones into a fantasy stud. We know that for a fact. So I I, I like I'm with you and I like that agreement. Not sure they have the money to get there. I want to hear Jeremy's take on how excited he would be for Aaron Jones to leave the NFC North. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of made me panic a little bit when you said the bears, but then I, I think about the bears and their failure to use a guy like Tariq Cohen and be like, well, probably wouldn't be that good over in Chicago, <laughs> given that they can't figure out what to do with their backs outside of David Montgomery. So um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he for, not in 2020, but in 2019, he was the best Aaron on that team. And and I mean, I don't I don't think that was a, a, a not a hot take. A, yeah, not a hot take at all. Not not controversial at all. So, I mean, I I'm I'm kind of with you in that. Like, I I don't really like adding free agent running backs or, or paying a lot for them. I don't think it's a great way to build a team. But if I can I, if I can pay to get a a guy like him out of the division, maybe I'd do that. <laughs> That'll be Detroit's option. Detroit's looking at those. Say, Detroit, how much money would you pay to get Aaron Jones out of there? That'll be the bidding process there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's shift over to our main segment of the day. Uh, it's obviously it's the Goff and Stafford trade. We talked about Wentz, which may be the next shoe to drop uh, amongst quarterbacks. We'll get to that. But uh, you know, Jared Goff traded for Matt Stafford. Uh, Goff, a third rounder this year, and two future first round picks. Huge price for Matt Stafford. Um, First off, moving on from Stafford, Jeremy, uh, how do you feel, just as a Lions fan, how do you feel moving on from the most prolific passer in Detroit Lions history? It's a, it's an uneasy feeling. I mean, it's it, it's made a little bit better by getting two first-rounders and a, a starting-caliber quarterback, but um, if, if, you're, if you've been a Detroit Lions fan for as long as I have been, or even longer, um, there's people that have, have suffered far longer than I have, um, the, the, the main complaint was always that this team could never find a franchise quarterback. You know, Matthew Stafford was the first pro bowl quarterback in decades. Um, and, and so, you know, the curse of Bobby Lane, that's, that's the, 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 
the tale that people always tell from the from the fifties. <laughs> yeah, this team hasn't been able to find a quarterback since the fifties, and so for the past you know dozen years, we've had a guy that's been a top ten quarterback, maybe not consistently every year in and out, and maybe he didn't get the bring the wins with him in terms of playoff wins and and division titles and things like that, but. There's no doubt this is a talented guy. There's no doubt this guy was a class act every single year he was here. Um, uh, a tough SOB as well. I mean, the guy went through injury after injury and, and played as much as he possibly could through them all. He was insistent on playing in week 17, despite the fact that he had torn ligaments in his hand, had bruised ribs, torn rib cartilage. Um, I think he was going through some sort of leg injury as well at the time. I mean, and playing in a game that that really meant nothing, although, you know, maybe looking back on it now, he knew it was going to be his last game and he wanted to be out there one last time with his guys. But um, that's the kind of guy he is. And, um, you know, just a, a complete class act and a guy that if Lions fans don't miss at this moment, they're certainly going to miss in, you know, 10, let's say 10 months when we're in the middle of uh, December and we're we're having to deal with Jared Goff out there. <laughs> so obviously you're uh, you're bullish on Stafford's talent and his ability to uh, to to uplift Cooper Cup. What else? What are the Rams getting in Matt Stafford? What are they getting uh, that they can look forward to? And is he enough to push them into that like back into that elite offense territory? Oh, I, I think without a doubt, uh, I think that team instantly becomes a Super Bowl contender as long as they can keep it together on defense. And there are a lot of questions there because they got a bunch of free agents and uh, and obviously they lost their defensive coordinator to a head coaching job. So um, if if they can hold together there, I think Matthew. Stafford brings um, poise, you know, fourth, the, the amount of fourth quarter comebacks in, in this guy's career is incredible. He runs a two minute drill better than just about anyone in this league loves to uncork the ball. I mean, you, you can't question the man's arm talent. It's still top five in this league in terms of arm talent. Um, make he can make any throw out there. And I think the one thing that's uh, underrated and, and, you know, after I had that conversation with Jordan Rodriguez, I think Rams fans are going to really enjoy this part of Stafford's game it's his mobility and I know you don't think of him as as a guy that you know picks up 40 yards on the ground and he's not that guy but he's a guy that can extend the play he's a guy that can you know maneuver in the pocket as long as you keep him healthy as long as his legs are working um, the guy will will create some plays and, and take some deep shots and that's something that when that Rams offense was at its best in 2017 and 2018 that's what Jared Goff was doing they got him on the move they got him throwing deep and Matthew Stafford can do that no matter what the offense looks like, whether he's in shotgun or he's behind center, he's a guy that knows where the pressure is coming from. He can sense it um, and and then just make, you know, a living nightmare out of the, the, the secondary that has to cover for four or five, six seconds all of a sudden because he can find room in that pocket and uh, and he's going to make it happen in Los Angeles. I, I, I truly believe that. Pocket mobility is a real thing. I mean, that's something Tom Brady, that's one of the things that's made him so good. Yeah. You don't think of him running sprints, but he's just fantastic in the pocket at making those subtle little moves to dodge defenders, gain a window, and and do what he needs to do. Uh, Chris, are you buying anyone more or less uh, with the Rams now that Stafford is there? Um, nobody I can think more or less off the top of my head. I mean, I think Jeremy brought up a good point um, about uh, Stafford and his ability to basically just, I mean, hit that deep ball without too much of an issue. If I'm not mistaken, uh, this, so the 2020 season on pass attempts of 15 air yards or more, Matthew Stafford threw zero interceptions. I mean, none. I mean, they're, wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, which is absolutely wild to me thinking about, I mean, just the level of inconsistency and uh, across his pass catchers. I mean, he was about Kenny Galladay for at least a decent stretch of the season. I mean, it was really just relying on Marvin Jones and I mean, TJ Hawkinson. I mean, I think he had a couple like couple of downfield targets, if I'm not mistaken as well. Yeah. So it's just like, 
to, to think about that in terms of being able to, I mean, hit accurate balls like downfield, I mean, with, with that type of pass catching crew, I mean, that, that's remarkable to me. And so my thought is, I mean, I know a lot of folks are already in on, um, let's say like Josh Reynolds and possibly like Van Jefferson. I mean, because they're, 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 I mean, essentially the, the perimeter guys, the guys are going to be running some of those routes. So I get that Robert Woods, Cooper cup are the mainstays of that offense, uh, you know, Gerald Everett, uh, and Tyler Higby to, uh, to some extent as well. But if we're going to be getting that type of play out of, um, out of Matt Stafford in Los Angeles, then now he even, I mean, he's the tie that lifts all boats. So you can, you could, you know, throw a chip at some of those ancillary receivers that when it was Jared Goff, I mean, you wouldn't get that, that type of at least enough production out of them that you would want to roster them on a weekly basis. So if that's the type of, uh, I guess, type of play we can come to expect out of, um, out of Stafford in LA, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see that. And I guess the, and another thing that kind of came to my mind and I mean, Jeremy, you might be able to speak to this more, but Matt Stafford I mean, for I mean, for all of his faults, I mean, I know there have been like plenty of uh, plenty of plenty of threads on Twitter about his I mean, gunslinger mentality, which can be good or bad. But Stafford is a decisive thrower. I mean, he he is not one to once things break down. It's just like it's like watching a computer short circuit like in real time. And I think that's what he can bring to the Rams offense that I don't think Jared Goff was I, I don't think we could ever get there with Jared Goff so entrenched in McVay's system. And would you agree with that, Jeremy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you also have to consider this guy's been around 12 years, probably seen, I want to say, five or six offensive coordinators Mm -hmm. in his career. So there's not much that a defense can throw at him that he hasn't seen. There's not much in an offensive system that he doesn't know. So, yeah, I I think this is a guy who goes through his progressions pretty quick. And like you said, not not the type that's going to short circuit there in the pocket. Yeah. And that's, and that's my hope for this entire offense. I mean, you can try and factor. I mean, you can factor in the, the idea that, that, um, that they're the Rams offensive line is going to regress. I mean, Andrew Whitworth, I forget how old he is right now, but I mean, his time is a coming. And I mean, that he's at defense, least 65, right? I think it's, it's 65 what it this feels year. like, I mean, <laughs> cause I mean, he was still, I mean, he was a, I mean, I'm a Bengals fan and I mean, I was a huge fan of him when he was still playing for Cincinnati. And, but, I, the, I mean, but that, uh, but the Rams defense, I mean, they played lights out this year. Can yeah. we expect the same performance in 2021? And if not, what is, what, how much pressure is going to be placed on Stafford in his first year in LA? So there's, there's just a lot where I think that Stafford could handle that type of regression. And I don't think I could say the same for Jared Goff. Yeah, sign me up. You brought up some of those ancillary pieces. Um, Keep an eye out on Gerald Everett. Keep an eye out on Josh Reynolds. Both those guys are free agents. Both those guys might make some money on the open market. And if they leave, Tyler Higby, who was 16th last year in tight ends and fantasy points, like he might sniff that top tenner and kind of earn that ADP he had a year ago. Van Jefferson's a kid I like a lot if if Josh Reynolds moves on. So uh, that that's definitely interesting in that regard. Shifting over to Detroit, um, what do you think you're getting out of Jared Goff, Jeremy? I, I what, what kind of differences do you think he'll bring to the Detroit offense? Obviously, there's a lot of factors with a new coach and a new system. We alluded to it a little bit earlier. But uh, what are you looking at when you look at Jared Goff's arrival? Yeah, I think the I think the Lions are probably going to treat him a little bit like a, a game manager type. Um, I, I wouldn't expect huge numbers out of him. The Lions also don't have uh, a wide receiver core at the moment. You know, Kenny Galladay <laughs> is going to be a free agent. Marvin Jones is a guy maybe that you see over in Los Angeles. There's been a lot of rumors about that. He, oh. You know, he lives in SoCal in, in the offseason as well. And uh, 
definitely Amendola's a, huge a free agent too, right? Isn't Amendola a free agent too? Yeah. <laughs> All, the lines literally do not have a wide receiver core right now. So um, I think that'll be a, a dependent on uh, your golf, you know, success is obviously going to be highly dependent on all that. But um, the, the one thing also to consider is the Lions have a new general manager and he's the guy that pounded the table for Jared Goff. So I don't think he was necessarily just a throw in in this trade. I do think the Lions think they might have something in, in him. He's only 26 years old and obviously there were, there was something going on with him and, and Sean McVay. And so some would argue that maybe McVay was actually holding him back and that, you know, he, he was in his ear until the, the play clock was down to a certain time and he couldn't hear him over the radio. And so if McVay is still holding the reins for him, you know, four or five years into his career, maybe a, a little more hands off of an offensive coordinator can, can help him progress a little bit because I think by the time, you know, 2021 rolled around, it was just, they were putting more on golf's shoulders and he just, he hadn't developed enough. And so I, He's not going, he might have a little bit of the short circuit stuff that we were talking about. He certainly isn't as good as a pocket um, as Matthew Stafford, but he does have arm talent. And we saw him be able to hit on a lot of those deep throws. He can throw a really beautiful deep ball. Again, not the arm strength that Matthew Stafford has, but um, the accuracy is, is there at times. So I'm curious to see how it all works out. I think the Lions probably try to utilize a lot of the play action that that the the Rams used during Goff's good year. So try to develop that run game with DeAndre Swift try to take a couple deep shots here and there. Um, but certainly the offense, I think, is going to look a lot lot different in Detroit than it has in the previous years. So you talked to Jordan Rodriguez. That that issue between Goff and, and McVay, it was a bagel, right? It had to be it, right? Like, like McVay loves blueberry bagels, and every day <laughs> Goff would come in, and he'd grab the blueberry bagel, and then got, McVay'd come in and be like, where's my blueberry bagel, he'd say to Leslie. And Leslie would be like, don't start. He's like, was it Goff again? Yeah, that has to be it, right? That has to be what happened. <laughs> <laughs> that or the the like what twenty six interceptions he's thrown oh, in the past two years. Oh, pish posh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all bagels. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit. Uh, you know, Goff not really known for throwing the ball downfield. He's big on the slot receiver thing. Uh, do yeah. you think that puts Detroit more or less or in play, or is it a factor at all in whether or not they go after some of like the high profile uh, slot receivers? I'm talking about like drafting Jalen Waddle or maybe signing Juju Smith Schuster. Somebody out there. Do you think that? that's a focus uh for the team based on Goff's history or do you think that was all just McVay uh that's I mean that's a really good question I'm obviously the Lions are going to be looking everywhere for wide receivers at this point and they're probably <laughs> yeah. going to look at at them you know at a discount so the draft I mean Devontae Smith is a guy that I think a lot of Lions fans are, are kind of circling and it would be kind of crazy if the Lions went back to the the drafting a wide receiver in the first round well which is what got Matt Millen in trouble you know 15 <laughs> years ago or so but uh, it, I mean, yeah, I think the short answer to your question is yes, they're, they're going to look for anything and everything. And I think speed is something that the lines really have been missing a lot from their wide receiving crew. Um, all these years, they're not going to have a guy like Matthew Stafford who can fit the ball into tight windows. And, and, you know, what, one thing you can say about Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, I don't know if either of them are coming back is they were great with contested catches. They didn't have a lot of separation. Um, they didn't have that capability. But Matthew Stafford's such a good quarterback that he can fit it in those tight windows and, and help them out. If the Lions don't have those guys and they don't, they, they certainly don't have the quarterback that can fit into those tight windows, they're going to need speed. They're going to need guys that can separate. And so, yeah, I think they're absolutely going to be players. I don't think they're going to be spending huge in free agency just because they don't have that room to do so. And they're probably thinking more in the long term anyways. I don't think you see them, you know, dish out a huge contract for one or two years for anybody because if if we want to be honest with ourselves and I think the lines are honest with themselves, they know 
they're probably not going to compete in 2020. So there's no reason yeah. to spend a ton of money. Um, so uh, I, I think there'll be players more likely in the draft. I could see them draft one or two guys out there. Um, but, you know, keep an eye on them in free agency as well, because they're, they're going to have to fill up the core of some points some, sure. some at some point. Should fantasy owners be interested at all in Quintez Cephas? Um, I would still be very careful there. Um, I, I think he's, he's a talented guy that has some tools, but I think, I think without Matthew Stafford, his, his effectiveness might even go down this year. And I, I know he wasn't a huge player in, in, in 2020. I, I, I would be, I would probably shy away from, from Quintus Cephas. Maybe, maybe see how the first couple of weeks go and then see maybe if you can catch him on the, on the waiver wire, but I would not come in with huge expectations in 2021 now. Sure, sure. Um, so you know the package, obviously, Goff, uh, uh, you know, a twenty-six-year-old quarterback, been to a Super Bowl. I mean, obviously, we we have concerns about whether or not he is a franchise quarterback based on last season and and the season before. But you know, still an asset as a quarterback, a third rounder this year, two future firsts. Uh, was that more or less than what you expected the Lions to get out of Stafford when trade rumors started to swirl? And uh, you know, if you had to move on from him, how do you feel about the package you received? I I was kind of over the moon to be honest. I yeah. mean. I thought the Lions were probably going to get a, a first and, and a mid-round pick, and obviously a lot depends on how those first-rounders turn out. If if they're 16s, that's great. If they're 28s, not not as great. Um, and and but I mean, the more we we hear from that trade, the more it does seem like there was a legitimate bidding war between you know the the Rams, the Panthers offered up apparently their eighth overall pick and Teddy Bridgewater and a fifth or something like that. Yeah, that's a that, pretty that's darn good rubber. deal as well. Um, that, I mean, that would, that one had to be too hard for them to turn down to have, you know, the potential of having the seventh and the eighth pick in, in this year's draft, um, which, you know, that's a great way to quickly turn around a franchise, give a first time general manager that in their pocket and they could turn around and be something good. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Washington was offering, I mean, there were first rounders, apparently five or six of them on the table for, for the lions. And so to see that bidding war kind of go up and, and the lines now have, you know, three new day two pick day one and day two picks that they didn't have before. I mean, like I said, this, this franchise is taking the long-term look at, at success and they know it's not going to happen right away. So if they can get, you know, impact guys, even just on two of those three draft picks in the next two or three years, I think it'll be worth it. And and given that Matthew Stafford wanted out, given that Matthew Stafford probably wanted to go to Los Angeles more than anything else, it's nice for a franchise that that had such bitter ends to Barry Sanders' career, such bitter ends to to Calvin Johnson's career, to have someone go out on their own terms yeah. and and happily, and both sides I think benefited from it. So uh, while while I I hate that Matthew Stafford's not going to be playing here anymore, and and we're we're settling for someone who's clearly not as talented, the Lions did just about as as good as they could have done by by all stretches of the iman- of the imagination. And uh, yeah, I'm, it, it it helps it helps that the lions got so much in return and did, you know, their player right. Um, in, in kind of coming to terms with the fact that Stafford's not going to be playing with the Lions next year. Yeah. Kind of making lemons out, or uh, making lemonade out of lemons. I get that. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris, we know Carson Wentz is on the block and we're running out of time. Who's like the next quarterback you'd like to see fall like the next domino. Uh, there's so many rumors out there about, about Deshaun Watson and Jimmy Garoppolo and even Aaron Rodgers. Who's the, what's the domino you're hoping to see fall. So I'm actually kind of curious to see what Cam Newton's going to do with the rest of his career. I mean, is he is he going yeah. to wind up? I mean, I, I'm sure that a lot of folks are probably at least advocating for him to take some time off 
uh, in order to, I guess, to recoup uh, because we could tell, I mean, there was definitely some issues like uh, along with like his, if it's not his shoulder, it was his foot or something along those lines. I mean, so there's something not right with, I mean, his, with his health and with his body at this point in his career. So does he take the time off or to get some of those issues addressed? And um, I, my hope is that that's true. I'm, I'm also hoping that there's another team out there where he can find a shot in order to kind of regain some of that image that we know what Cam Newton can be. We saw some of that. I mean, especially I'm still I still remember what was it that week two game against Seattle where it was just like it came down to that like second to I mean, the very last play. And I mean, they could have won like in Seattle. I mean, that I mean, those I mean, those highlights for Cam. I mean, that those were like almost weekly occurrences. Uh, when he was still in his prime. So I still think at his age, I mean, what, he's 32, 33? I mean, at this point. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like at his age, I still think that there's a possibility that he can kind of get back to what he was, but I'm just hoping that he takes the time off and gets his body right in order to get there and and a team takes a shot on him. He could be just another bridge quarterback, you know, for, for another struggling team, but I still think that there's at least, he still has some time left in the league. I hope so too, man. I love Cam Newton, and I'm kind of interested. Another in former first uh, number, first overall pick, kind of interested in where Jameis Winston winds up, he, whether he stays with the Saints and takes over or gets another shot somewhere else. Uh, Jeremy, is there a quarterback out there that you are uh, kind of eyeing to see if if movement happens in this offseason that looks like it's going to be just uh, you know a ton of quarterback movement? Yeah, I mean, I guess my eyes are on on what happens with Ben Roethlisberger. Um, it's kind yeah. of an, an intriguing situation over there. Um, it, it seems like everyone's just kind of waiting for any sort of word and and really nothing yet. Um, obviously, I, I, he's coming towards the end of his career and, and his body is breaking down and all that sort of stuff. But um, I don't know what the succession plan there in Pittsburgh. It does feel like that franchise in general is, is very nearing some sort of fork in the road, and it, it's hard to know what direction they go in. I mean, there was even talk of maybe Tomlin going anywhere, but it seems like all that is, is settled there. But, you know, they, they lose a couple guys in, in the coaching circus there. Um, and, and, and Roethlisberger specifically, I, I just, I don't know what he, I don't even know what the odds are at this point. You know, if there was a Vegas odds of, of who that team starting quarterback is, I don't know what the odds are. Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> is, is that guy, but it, it's, it's gotta feel somewhere near 50, 50 at this point, unless I'm reading it wrong. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Absolutely. Um, Jeremy, this was great. Um, we're going to go to our final segment, which is just a simple, here's to you. Uh, this is our first, uh, first venture here for Chris and I. Um, so first off, I, I've got my glass of Oban Little Bay scotch, which I'm enjoying and nice. I'm raising it. And I'm saying, here's to you, Chris, for being a fantastic co-host in this new venture. I'm excited to be a part of it. So here's to you, Chris. I appreciate that, Brandon. And I guess uh, for me tonight, so I'm sipping on and folks that follow me on Twitter, I mean, they probably know this about me. I'm a home brewer. So I actually have a uh, a glass of one of the, it's a winter warmer that I put together in the, the mid to late December timeframe. So it's like a, you know, a little malty, got some like uh, cinnamon spices, you know, that some of the, some of those notes in the background. Um, so trying to finish that, uh, that up in my keg for the, uh, for the moment. So, I mean, I'll give it, I'll send that, that energy right back to you, Brandon. I mean, here's to you for kicking us off, being an excellent host. I'm happy for this, uh, this venture for the off season. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for, for what we've got going on here. Thank you. So I appreciate it. And to you, Jeremy, here's to you from both of us. Thank you for dropping by to help us dissect this trade and to chat about other things around the league. Uh, any final thoughts or anything you want to plug before we go? Well, first off, I would say cheers to you guys. Um, congratulations on, on on the the first show in the bag. If, if you want to check out my stuff, as you mentioned at the top, at Detroit Online is my Twitter account. 
Pride of Detroit is uh, is where I do all my stuff. Um, we have a Twitch and YouTube page. If you're into the live streaming stuff, that's where we record our podcast as well. And uh, if you are interested in, in some uh, insight into Anthony Lynn, I will have a piece this week up on Pride of Detroit kind of breaking down all of his offenses over the past five years. Awesome. I can't wait. Cannot wait to read that. Thank you so much again. Uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review and really nice comments and be very gentle with the, your new hosts uh, on, on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at 2GuysBrandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much. Have a good day.